Fairy code. Turlock sat forlorn at the meeting tree with a broken laptop. He was a geek without power, without access, without software. Shifra seamlessly emerged from the mist, her golden hair bathed in moonlight. She observed him with a twist of sadness and seductiveness. She kissed him passionately. It was a kiss that ignited some life in the malfunctioning programmer. Are you here for love or code? she whispered. As they rolled on the dew-laden grass making wild love, the screen of his laptop suddenly sprang into action, casting blue rays of light on their entwined bodies. Computer code began to flicker across the screen, beginning with the title, The Fairy Tree App. It was followed by lines and lines of esoteric code that automatically displayed across the screen, as if being written by a ghost with some supreme programming skills. When the mystical lovemaking ended, and only after much time had passed in the sacred throes of pleasure, Herlock sat before his computer, and when the blue screen reflected on his face, he smiled broadly. Dark clouds gathered over the Galway Convention Centre. Inside, a large crowd of computer geeks were gathered in anticipation. The conference host, Dr. David Carpenter, moved towards the podium. Large video screens behind him displayed surreal graphics. The graphics swirled around the screen in mesmerizing movements to a pulsating techno beat that gradually faded away when Dr. Carpenter began to speak. The conference host cleared his throat. Who wants to see the ultimate killer app? The geeky bobbers cheered wildly, driven demented by app mania. Can we have the folks from Otherworld Technologies on the stage? Turlock and Fredrickson rose from their seats to rapturous applause. Though in the middle of the crowd, one man, arms folded, sat still with green-eyed envy. Jermit McJermit shook his head in disgust as the developers of the moment hopped towards the stage. How the hell did they do it? He fumed under his breath. At the back of the conference centre, a woman clad in a tight leather miniskirt entered. Deirdre, looking hotter than ever in her black rimmed glasses, surveyed the room. Some computer geeks took a gander at her admiringly, but she scowled back at them. She quietly took her seat. Sergeant Crowley carried two suitcases to the trunk of the car. He gave the boot a good bang as if to say, That's that then? He then jumped into the driver's seat and looked at his wife, who sat next to him sullenly. I guess I just wasn't cut out for the quiet life, he said sheepishly. Thurlock stood proudly before the geeks. The logo of Otherworld Technologies now swirled on the monitors behind him. My friends, in 20 seconds a new app will automatically launch on your mobile devices. The crowd gasped audibly, in awe of the seamless invasion. They all took out their mobile devices and watched the screens intently. You see, my friends, we've created an app where all knowledge begins and ends. 
There was now a lot more commotion amongst the thick rimmed glasses crowd as they waited for the killer app to launch on their cell phones, their iPhones, their Androids, even one or two hoping it would work on their Blackberries. And all knowledge, my friends, begins and ends with... Turlock suddenly stopped in mid-sentence. He saw Deirdre, intently looking at her mobile device at the back of the conference. Some awful words rang out in his head. The voice of Shifra. In the fairy world, immortal works are granted in return for... He thought it only applied to poets. He thought once the Shi had inspired a masterpiece, the artist's soul was lost forever to the pastures of the other world. Thurlock looked around in a great panic. He quickly turned to Fredrickson, who stood oblivious behind him. No, stop it, he cried. Don't let it launch. The app is launched, said Fredrickson. At the back of the hall, Deirdre gleefully saw the app pop on her device. Words began to flash. The fairy tree app. She saw a bar that read, Enter question. Deirdre quickly tapped some words into the knowledge app search bar. The words she typed were, How do you kill a fairy? Twisting through mournful moors and mossy mountains, Crowley's car sped through a desolate road in the wilds of Connemara. He was on his way back to civilization, and he couldn't get there fast enough. His poor wife Jennifer had fallen asleep next to him. Crowley himself was in deep thought. He wondered if she'd leave him when they got back to Dublin. Truth be told, he couldn't blame her if she did. He did not know what he would do when he got back to Dublin, but he did know he'd resigned from the Gordy. He'd bottled it one too many times, and he wrote it would be a relief to be rid of the uniform. He saw no other signs of life in this barren region, not even a stray sheep or goat on the side of a hill. This was sparse, impoverished land. Very few creatures could survive here. Just when he thought he was the last man left on earth, he saw something motion in his rearview mirror. He saw a beat-up old car eating up the boggy road behind him. The truth sank in. That was their car. God blasted, he cried, and a terrified look descended on his face. On the outskirts of Bally Strange, Deirdre raced up the ancient hill of Knocknashee, armed with a hatchet, short leather skirt and long boots. Thurlock chased after her. He tried to catch a hold of her long silken leg and succeeded ever so briefly, but she pushed her boot into his face with venom. His head jolted back, skin ripped, blood began to drip. He cursed her to hell. She scampered up the hill fitter than any old mountain goat who'd braved cold winters on stony grey soil. Her murderous mission brought her to the top first. She came to the tree under which Thurlock and Shifra had often kissed and made their sacred love. She pulled out her mobile device and looked at the answer one more time. Stupid nerd, she said. In the distance, Thurlock cried out, No, please, not the fairy tree. But she had little time or regard for his pleadings or his entreaties. With boldness blazoned on her face, she swung her hatchet wildly at the fairy tree. Thurlock let out a mighty roar. The chop was clean. The whole countryside now cried out as if she had murdered Mother Nature herself. The flowers once in full bloom suddenly began to wither as if suffering in one split second a summer of hot sun and months of drought. 
A dead look descended on the picture-perfect valleys of Ballystrange. The mountains in the distance lost their rich mossy hue, and the skies overhead darkened, as if the gods had retired for winter. The rushing streams no longer sang their sweet song. The magic had left the land. Where she split the tree, a greenish liquid, green fairy blood flowed down along the bark. When Thurlock arrived to what was left of the stump, he fell to the ground like an old woman at a wake. Deirdre shook her head when she observed the pathetic sight. And one more thing, she said. Your app sucked. With those words, she coolly walked away. The Fool and His Wife The car full of skinheads was roaring at full speed now. It moved with anger towards the bumper of Crowley's car. The cowardly policeman had fallen to pieces at the steering wheel. The commotion awoke in Jennifer. What is it? The car shook and swerved as the beat-up old banger rammed its rear. They're behind us, cried Crowley, shrieking in despair. In his rear mirror he could see Simon at the wheel drinking a can of cider. Most guards would have pulled the scuts over for drinking and driving. Not him. In a bid to escape, he went so fast around the narrow bends that he at times saw the back of his own neck. And there was a yellow streak running through it. No matter how fast he drove, the skinheads were faster. They howled and yelped with delight as they rammed Crowley's car one more time. They soon pulled level. They rammed it now from the side, repeatedly, swerving sharply for maximum impact. The pack saw Crowley's wife and their blood was completely risen now. We're going to kill you, snarled Simon, and then shag your little mot, senseless. Simon swung his car violently one more time. The collision sent a hail of sparks flying. Crowley's car went veering towards the side of the road where there was nothing but wild heather and stubborn rocks. Bang, a tire blew. Crowley lost control and his car went spinning on the country road. When the distressed car finally sat motionless in the middle of the road, a great cloud of steam came pouring from the engine. In the barren field behind him, a flock of Galway sheep went running for the hills. Dr. Winterman and Cecil watched from the distance, as the sorry figure of Turlock lay stretched out grieving at the foot of the chopped down tree. And so the prophecy has come to pass, said Dr. Winterman. A stranger came and slayed them all. What will happen to us? asked Cecil. We'll live out our lives as sad old men in a sad old town. No longer such a strange place, is it? No, it's frighteningly normal. Three skinheads lined up across the country road and watched feral-like as the last of the steam poured from the engine of the smashed-up squad car. Finally, the driver's door swung open with a creak, and Crowley staggered out, his face all bloodied. The skinheads laughed as he stumbled towards them. When he got to within a few feet, he began to swing his fists wildly, like a drunkard looking for a fight in an empty bar. But he only hit thin air. The skinheads hissed with delight, then Simon swung his great big Doc Martin boot and connected with Crowley's groin. Crowley keeled over and fell to the ground. Johnny and Robbie joined in, kicking him relentlessly. 
You're gonna find this is an accidental death, copper? Everything became a blur for Sergeant Crowley. As each boot pounded his head, life and lucidity began to depart his noggin in equal measure. Far back on the horizon, slipping over the hills, he thought he saw a sleek black car raising dust. It drew nearer and nearer, and as it passed by, Sergeant Crowley raised his hand feebly for help, but it cruelly sped onwards. Inside her black Porsche, Deirdre smiled as she glanced in her rear mirror. What an absolute waste of taxpayers' money that fool was. Without mercy or any sense of compassion, the skinheads continued to kick Sergeant Crowley, only stopping when they heard the squeak of another car door open. The sight of a long female leg stepping out drew animalistic sounds from Simon and his crew. Unlike her husband, Jennifer appeared unscathed from the crash. She stood still in the middle of the barren road, devoid of all emotion, without even a tear for her battered husband. Her eyes were dark and distant, narrowing in on the skinheads like the rabid eyes of a hungry, wretched dog. She wiped her long auburn hair from her forehead and faced the skinheads. Simon grabbed his crotch. Yeah? We're going to have some fun now? We'll shag you like a Connemara ram shags his sheep? But Jennifer, despite being married to the biggest coward on earth, showed no fear. She started into a gallop, running towards him. Boy, she wants it, howled Simon. She gathered pace and her face grew angrier. She wants us, said Robbie. Their expressions changed. The gallop evolved into a sprint, a charge. At full speed, she emitted a fierce primordial roar that echoed throughout the hills of Connemara. Starving crows gathered on sparse trees were sent squawking into the air. The roar unnerved the skinheads. Half in hell, yelled Simon, and he loosened the grip on his crotch. For it was no longer a slender, sexy woman that was charging towards them, but a creature that had transformed into something more beastly. Oh shit, cried Robbie, Sergeant Crowley, beaten to within an inch of his life, thought he was hallucinating. He watched Ashen Face in a pool of blood on the side of the roads. The skinhead screamed as the werewolf pounced. Fairy magic. Turlock playing goalie flung his foot and whacked the football. It went flying to the opposite end of the garden. Kieran and his friends ran in chase. Turlock's eyes watered as he watched his young lad happily scrap for the ball 30 feet away. Kieran won the ball easily and came soloing towards the makeshift goals in Turlock's garden. When Kieran let fly with his left foot, Turlock dived to save it, but the ball had already crossed the line before Turlock landed in a big old heap on the dew-covered grass. Damn, the boy is good. Kelly sat observing the game as an artist, and Turlock later viewed the young girl's depiction of events in the garden, him diving acrobatically through the air, Kieran planting the ball to his left, he realised he'd somehow fathered a very talented little girl. And with that realisation came the tears. When is Mammy coming back? she asked, as she sprinkled in some colour. Their mother was in heaven, he had told them many times, unsure of what else to say. Three months had now passed. Were members of the fairy race even eligible for heaven? Some said they were fallen angels. Were they even real? 
His grief, which grew greater by the day, certainly was. Daddy, why don't you work on your computer anymore? Because children are much more fun than apps. And yes, his grief had grown greater every day, but so too had his joy. He wondered if it was Shifra's final fairy trick, bestowing on him the gift of being a father. At night when Kelly and Karen slept, he'd grow very melancholy again. He'd nurse the whiskey before bed in the hopes of gaining some solace from the water of life. It rarely worked. He heard a loud knocking on his door. Who could that be at this awful hour? No one ever came to visit any more. The men of Bally Strange had lost all contact with each other. The supernatural glue that had kept their community so closely tied together for centuries was no more. Cecil Tony and Winterman were standing outside. There's something you have to see. Kids are asleep. Meet us tomorrow morning at the hill. A group of lonely men from the town of Bally Strange stood on a hill of Knocknashee, where Deirdre had cut down the famous fairy tree of Bally Strange only a few months earlier. But the tree had started to grow again, and Thurlock marvelled at the sight. Leaves, he said. Leaves. I saw something on the beach too, said Cecil. I couldn't believe my eyes. A hawk hovered overhead. Tony watched her intently. And I, said Dr. Winterman, had a strange victim at the morgue today. What does it mean? asked Cecil. Could she have missed one? asked Turlock. But who? they all asked in unison. She was good, said Dr. Winterman. But she was no von Helsing. Then may God protect the one who escaped her wrath, said Thurlock. Sergeant Crowley listened intently to the wailing of the wind and the howling of a wolf. He walked out his back door, brandishing a rifle. There was some rustling in the bushes, and he pointed his gun. His finger began to squeeze on the trigger. A dark shadow emerged from the bushes. As it drew closer, Crowley could see clearly a female shape. Under the moonlight, the face of Jennifer became visible, her clothing tattered and torn. Crowley continued to point his rifle at her. I am not afraid, he yelled. I will shoot. But she continued to walk towards him defiantly. He slowly pulled his rifle down, calmly, not in fear. She walked up to him and she kissed him. He held her tightly. Deirdre back in her office on the Dublin Docklands admired all the Egyptian artefacts, the spoils of her father's looting of the Great Pyramids. Behind her, one of her young demon slayers brought in a canvas sack with something heavy inside. Just leave it there, she ordered. The young employee gently dropped the sack in the middle of her office before hastily departing the room. Deirdre proudly walked over towards the bag. Now where shall I put my own spoils of war? She began to open 
the canvas sack. Outside her office, a terrible screeching was heard. The screams were followed by the horrible crunching, grinding sound of life turning to stone. It is said that if you are ever driving through the lonesome roads of Connemara and you come to a town on the edge of the world, a town once historically known as Balian Stripok, there's a stonework shop with a priceless artifact. She's for display purposes only and not for sale. They call her the Righteous Stranger. And watch the sun sweep down on Galway Bay. Mm-hmm.